When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into the Hard Count, the people show. For every single thing that you know and that you love about college football, it happens here on a daily basis. Nick Break doing the heavy lifting. You can help drive the show by subscribing to the channel. Folks, if this feels a little bit different, it's because we are live as can be. We've taken the safety net, pulled it out from under us, and we are live in living color coming to you after a college football Saturday. How about it, man? This gets me so fired up. It is gut check season all over the college football landscape. You saw it yesterday. App State, gut check time. Hail Mary, they win the game. Notre Dame, gut check time in South Bend after a tough loss to Marshall. Cal comes into town and just about Hail Mary's them, but they got it done. All over the country, folks, teams are taking shape. You are now seeing the real identity each and every week from your favorite program. We got a great show lined up for you tonight. We're going to talk all about Penn State running over Auburn. I mean, they just scored another touchdown down there at Jordan Air. Bad news for Brian Harson and company. We're going to get to a lot of that. LSU caught their stride against Mississippi State. Really interesting that team, how they, when they get their sense of urgency, whole new outlook on that program. Brian Kelly got that thing headed in the right direction. Going to unpack what's going on down there in Baton Rouge. How about Miami? Going to Kyle Field, giving them all they could handle. But the big story is Texas a and I mean, you want to talk about a gut check. That was a gut check game for both teams. And with Max Johnson at quarterback, A&M finding a way to get it done with their back against the wall. We're going to wrap this thing up talking about who our top four teams in the country are as of right now. Now, this is going to change a lot throughout the course of the season. The committee's waiting a few weeks to give you their college football playoff rankings. We're going to do that tonight on the show to wrap this thing up. Before all of that, though, we got to talk about Oklahoma going to Lincoln, Nebraska and making a statement. Oklahoma won the game 49 to 14 over Nebraska. And there's a lot to unpack here. Nebraska did kind of in, in a condensed way what we thought they might. Mickey Joseph taking the reins after Scott Frost gets asked to leave the program for a few million dollars, head coach. And we thought, okay, maybe Nebraska, for the first time since the Northwestern game, is refocused. Maybe they just look like a different team, and now without all those distractions, they come out and they come out swinging. And that's what happened, to be fair. On the first drive of the game, Nebraska drew first blood. They landed a solid right hook on the chin of the Oklahoma program. And so you're saying, okay. Here we go. This is new Nebraska, baby. Oklahoma, to their credit, and we'll talk more about this in a second, Oklahoma steadies themselves, kind of taste their own blood for a second, and then just proceeded to throw haymaker after haymaker after haymaker on the Nebraska program. So again, we're going to unpack that more in a minute. But as, as far as this pertains to Nebraska, what I think we learned is this is truly going to be a full reset, whether it's Mickey Joseph or whether it's some other head coach that comes in and takes that job. It's going to be a full reset at Nebraska. It's going to take a full reset this season for them to be competitive. They just fired the defensive coordinators. There's going to be some 
things that are still sort of working around here. Bill Bush is going to be the defensive coordinator going forward. But when it comes to this team the rest of the way, I think we saw they still have some players on this team, especially on offense. They got some guys. We were really high on Casey Thompson coming into the year. I don't think we're wrong on that. They were averaging 35 coming into this game. The offense has got some juice. They got Anthony Grant. They got a lot of playmakers. But as a team within this program, they're still going to have to find their footing, and it's not going to be this coming season. So Nebraska fans, hang on tight. I think help is on the way. I think whoever you get in there has a chance to do a lot with the talent in this locker room. But in terms of what you already have in place, in terms of the structure you have in place, might be a little bit of a waiting game past 2022. The bigger takeaway for me is Oklahoma. Because coming into this game, what I was looking for from Oklahoma is, okay, validate what you did those first two weeks of the season. You look dominant, but you look dominant against UTEP and Kent State. No knock on those programs, but Nebraska's a Power 5 football team. They're going to have a different caliber of athlete on the field than those programs would present you with. So for Oklahoma, the fact that they were able to, one, handle momentum going against them for the first time this season, steady themselves, and then proceed to play their game, tells me a lot about the maturity of this team. Because it would have been really easy to fall, subs- to fall trapped to really what Nebraska was bringing to the table that day. Because Nebraska had nothing to lose, was in wounded animal mode, and a wounded animal, right before it takes its last breath, this is morbid, but hang with me, right before that animal goes, it gives one last solid kick. And that's what Nebraska did the first drive of this game. They gave their last solid punch, last ditch effort at Oklahoma, and Oklahoma took that, and then went forward and played their game. The thing I was impressed by was Oklahoma didn't really have to adjust too much. They didn't really have to adapt what they did from a defensive or offensive standpoint to what Nebraska was bringing. They were able to just kind of play their game. And so as a whole, do we know that Oklahoma is going to be elite the rest of the way? There's a lot of football left to be played, folks. Oklahoma's got some really good teams left on their schedule. But for them to pass this first test gives me some encouragement that, okay, there is something under the hood here at Oklahoma. Dylan Gabriel, he's got full command of this offense. He's got full command of this team. That whole marriage we talked about going into the year with Jeff Lebby and Dylan Gabriel, will it work, will it not work? Oh, it's working. So far, it's working. The ROI is phenomenal. So you passed your first test, but like I said, when Big 12 play ramps up, that's when we find out exactly who they are. It's like if you were to walk into quantum physics class, I'd be concerned if you hadn't passed algebra. If you hadn't passed basic math, I'd be like, what are you doing in this class? So are we prepared to put Oklahoma in the quantum physics of college football class? We're going to put them at the elite tier just yet? I don't know about that. But for them to be able to pass this first test, show us that they're able to beat competition they're supposed to beat and beat them in the way they're supposed to beat them on the road. I'm impressed. I'm encouraged. So Oklahoma doing what they're supposed to do. Again, going to Lincoln, getting a definitive win against a dangerous for what they were in in terms of situation wise Nebraska 49 to 14 Oklahoma getting it done we're gonna keep an eye on the Sooners we're gonna come back to them talking about our postseason expectations or to dial it back our top four teams in the country a little bit of a spoiler for you there but we like Oklahoma a lot I think they put some really good things on tape yesterday now a team that did not put some good things on tape yesterday was Auburn Penn State went into Jordan-Hare won the game 41-12. to And the fashion in which they did it is, I think, what is most telling about both these programs. 
potentially more about Auburn. We'll start with them. The sloppiness that we saw from weeks before, where Auburn looked sloppy against San Jose State, and you say, okay, week two, they're still kind of getting it together. Those sloppy characteristics continued in this game. They continued in, in the difference between Penn State and San Jose State, no knock on the Spartans, Penn State's going to make you pay. And they had four turnovers. They didn't look clean in terms of an operation, getting to the line, getting the play started. They struggled at square one, which is concerning because they got guys in this program. Tank Bigsby, absolute dog, was held in check most of the day. TJ Finley, a lot of physical ability. Didn't look very polished during the game. And there's a lot of these things that happen for Auburn to where you continue to look at this and you say, okay, you look sloppy in the game, but I promise you, before it happened in the game, it happened behind closed doors at Auburn. Meaning this coaching staff, I don't know what needs to happen, but there needs to be something in where they're, they're putting their foot down and saying, listen, this cannot be the way we present ourselves as a program. Because there were so many things that you could link to discipline or way of doing things, whatever it is, the way that Auburn went about this game on Saturday points a lot to their coaching staff. And when you look at the coaching staff, it's hard to look anywhere else besides the head coach, the man who's in charge of running the program. So for Brian Harson, the seat is getting just ever so slightly a little bit more toasty week in and week out because the schedule doesn't get easy for Auburn. I mean, you still have to play Georgia. You still have to play Alabama. You still got to play A&M. Auburn's schedule the rest of the way, Penn State's just the start of your problems. One of the biggest things that I noticed was the way that Auburn lost at the point of attack. That front seven, time and time again, was getting blown off the ball. Even if it wasn't a seven-yard gain, even if it wasn't a first down, just a two, three-yard gain, they were, still they were still getting pushed a yard or two off the line of scrimmage. It's hard to win a game when your big boys can't stand up to the attack of what the other team's bringing on the offensive line. And Penn State, to their credit, just had their way. So that's what we'll start with them. They won the point of attack. Nick Singleton had a day. Him and Catron Allen carried the load. Nick Singleton went over 100 yards for the second week in a row. And he just adds so much balance to this program, to this offense even more so. Because over the last year or so, that was one of the main concerns was a lot of players, a lot of ability. They're going to recruit well. James Franklin's a great program. But if you can't run the ball, it's hard to get anything started. Because when you can't run the ball, defenses can key on your quarterback and make him uncomfortable as much as they want to because they're not worried about you running the ball. They're not worried about you dictating your tempo to them. And for Penn State to now be able to say, we can run the football at you, play after play after play, first and second down, we can hand the ball to Singleton, we can hand the ball to Allen. You know how much easier that makes Sean Clifford's job? For his 92nd year playing quarterback for this team, he was really efficient yesterday. I think it was 14 of 19, looked comfortable for the most part, didn't have to do too much, averaged right around nine yards of completion. His job got substantially easier dealing with third and three, dealing with second and six. Just situationally, Penn State is at such a better place with the run game the way it looked yesterday. I mean, a season ago, they were not nearly as efficient as they were yesterday. So Singleton and Allen both adding a whole new element to this offense. We mentioned it a little bit in terms of the defense for Penn State, but they were playing sideline to sideline with no seatbelt. They were flying all over the place yesterday against Auburn. And it showed with those four turnovers they forced, a lot of them were just havoc turnovers, meaning they were making that quarterback uncomfortable. 
whether it was Finley in the first half, Ashford in the second half, it did not matter who was taking snaps for Auburn. Abdul Carter was a freak show for them yesterday. I believe he led the team in tackles. He's someone that you're going to have to pay attention to for years to come in this sport because he's going to be a guy that you get to talk about when it comes to those postseason accolades. His name is going to be in a lot of those conversations. So I think to zoom out a little bit here, if Penn State can play the way they did yesterday against Auburn, if that can be even more so their formula the rest of the way, if they can be balanced offensively, take some pressure off their veteran quarterback, and they can be physical both on offense and defense, which sounds simplistic to say, I assure you it is not a simplistic thing to execute. They're going to be dangerous. Are they going to win the Big Ten? I don't know if I'm ready to say that, but I promise you they're going to ruin a lot of people's postseason hopes by playing this brand of football. Now, can they do it week in and week out? Remains to be seen. But I like the experience, like the maturity, and I love the ingredient of being able to run the football at Penn State. Because they went into an SEC environment yesterday. It wasn't like that game was in Happy Valley. They went into a ruckus, hostile environment in Jordan-Hare and took care of business and dictated their tempo to Auburn. Well over 200 yards on the ground. If that can be their formula, Penn State's going to be a force to be reckoned with the rest of the season. Again, Penn State getting it done on the road at Auburn in convincing fashion, 41-12. to Moving on to another cat, we got LSU playing a home game against Mississippi State. They won this game convincingly 31-16. to But the interesting thing about LSU is it takes a while for them to sort of get ramped up, at least offensively. Because this is the second game we had seen against, we'll call it formidable competition, no knock against the Southern Jaguars. LSU was down 13-0 to start this game. Like it took them a second to wake up. And the defense played great for the majority of the game. But it wasn't until they got down 13-0 till the offense kind of got rolling. And so we'll touch on more on that in a second. But the offense gets rolling. Jaden Daniels really led the charge. And that's encouraging for me to see when assessing this LSU program because you could tell the entire team, not just the offense, the entire team fed off of Jaden Daniels. I didn't light up the stat sheet, was solid through the air, ran for around 90 yards. So really his legs did the majority of the work. But the touchdown that he ran in, and he gets up. I think there was a late hit in the end zone. Team's fired up. He's got that blood running down the side of his eye. That just told me so much about Jaden Daniels and the way this team responds to him. Because that was sort of the turning point in the game. Once they punched that one in, it was all LSU the rest of the way. And like I said, the defense held it down. But when the offense started to get that sense of urgency, when it was like, okay, it's time to play now, that's when LSU is going to be a problem for you. And to have a quarterback that can lead the charge, to have a quarterback be the catalyst for LSU going forward, might be jumping the gun. I haven't seen LSU have a guy like that at quarterback since Joe Burrow. Now, are we saying Jaden Daniels is Joe Burrow? Of course not. Joe Burrow's a generational talent. But to have somebody that you feed off of at quarterback, to be the guy that puts the foot on the gas and forces the issue for your program, can flip the on switch for your program, that's a big deal. That's an enormous luxury for Brian Kelly and company to have. Now, the defense, to talk about it again, they had four sacks, eight tackles for a loss. They were flying all over the place. And that was critical because Mississippi State, with as potent as they are offensively, if LSU hadn't made them as uncomfortable as they did in the early going, winning the line of scrimmage, wearing on them kind of late into the third and fourth quarter, game could have gotten out of hand. 
because they had to wait on the offense. The offense took a second, like I said, to get going. So for the defense to start the game hot, play the way they did, if, if they can have that sort of approach the rest of the way with Matt House calling the defense, LSU is going to be able to, similar to Penn State, I don't know if they're probably not winning the SEC with all the things that they're still developing there, but they're going to make it a game for whoever they have across from them with that formula. So let's zoom out a little bit here, talking about LSU. It can't be a thing where you have to rely on the external circumstances to get you going. The Alabamas, the Georgias, the Ohio States, they don't need another logo across from them. They don't need to see something different on the scoreboard for them to say, okay, it's time to play now. And this is going to be a thing that happens with time, but that's one thing that we've routinely seen now from LSU. Routine in the sense we've seen it twice in three games. So you be the judge of that. But it happened against Florida State where it took the last drive to have a chance to force overtime, obviously get that extra point blocked go down 13-0 against Mississippi State, and then you start playing hard, that can't be the case for LSU going forward. They got it under the hood. They got a lot of guys. It's no secret. Nobody's doubting that they don't have the guys at LSU. I mean, Kayshawn Butte, we haven't even talked about him that much this year. Probably one of the best receivers in the country from an ability standpoint. It can't take the external to get this program's engine revved up. It has to be from the jump. And ultimately, that's why Brian Kelly's here. Brian Kelly's here to fix the approach at LSU. He's here to fix what's going on behind closed doors at LSU. He's here to get this thing headed the right direction. So if I'm an LSU fan, I wouldn't be overly concerned on the ROI with Brian Kelly in year one. Yes, you have a capable quarterback, a proven quarterback to some respect in Jaden Daniels with what he did at Arizona State. But Brian Kelly's not worried about just 2022. I promise you the vision for him is much further in the future. And the best way I can explain it is this. Whenever something gets fixed, whenever some appliance, whether it's pipes, whether it's a computer, whatever it is, once it's fixed, what do they tell you? Hey, just let it run for a second. Turn it back on, turn it off, turn it on, let it run. Let it sit for a second. That's what's happening at LSU. It's fixed in the sense that you got the right guy at head coach. You have a guy that's a proven winner, has won at every spot he's been at. It's fixed from the top down, but now it's got to get running. Now you have to sort of get all the bad stuff out, get his culture, get his people in there, get all his recruiting classes in there, and let it sort of run a little bit longer. Then LSU will be back to where I think most folks expect them to be competing on a national level. But as a whole, to be able to win games like this in year one, to win it in the fashion they did, to be able to kick it up offensively and have that juice, you got to be excited if you're an LSU fan. Is this the year if you're an LSU fan? Probably not. Is there reason to be excited about the future for Brian Kelly? Based on this game, absolutely. Again, LSU wins this game at home, 31-16 to over Mississippi State. That was the thing, too. Everyone's talking about Brian Kelly being a fit because he did the whole Southern accent thing and whether he meant to or not with the whole my family. I mean, you know what, what's, what's a fit is winning. If you can win wherever you're at, I promise the culture sort of becomes more uh, gravitating towards you. All right? So Brian Kelly's a winner. He's going to win at LSU. It's going to be the way to go about things. I'm not worried in the slightest about that program. So the title of this episode is Gut Check Season. And we told you in our preview on Wednesday, 
Texas and Miami is the epitome of gut check time for both programs. Miami, they're that team that's sort of chomping at the bit. Mario Cristobal came there. He's Miami-born, Miami-bred, and he's there to sort of take them from being Miami back to being the U. And so in order to be elite, in order to reach that next tier of the college football landscape, got to go on the road and beat ranked teams. So this was their opportunity. For Texas A&M, the gut check was, hey, App State just came to your crib. You paid them $1.5 million, and they handed you an L. How do you respond, Jimbo Fisher? How do you respond, entire star-studded roster? It was gut check time in College Station. And to Jimbo Fisher's credit, made a switch at quarterback. Said, Haynes King, we love you. Max Johnson's going to get the start this week. And the offense scored 17 points. Texas A&M won the game 17-9. to The offense wasn't outstanding by any stretch of the imagination. But just from an eye test, just from watching Haynes King run the offense and watching Max Johnson run the offense, it is a much more calculated, it is a much more competent, I would venture to say even a more confident operation for A&M on, on, on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, Max Johnson didn't light up the stat sheet. He was something like 10 for 20, 140 yards and one touchdown, no picks. Folks, that last stat is very crucial. No picks. They weren't giving the football game away. I mean, they, they were doing what they were supposed to do offensively and not giving the game away on that side of the ball because they got dudes on defense. I mean, A&M only allowed nine points bent and didn't break. We'll get to Miami here for a minute. I was really impressed by what they did on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, we just talked about A&M's offense a whole lot, but Miami forced the issue. I mean, pressured all day long. That front four was hellacious for the entire night. I mean, going into a, a tough place to play in Kyle Field, I was really impressed by the push they got up front. And then offensively, if you had told me, hey, A&M's going to score 17 points and Miami's going to run the ball for 175 yards, who are you taking? If you had told me that on Friday of this week, I would have emptied out my bank account and put all of my life savings on Miami Moneyline. Now, thank goodness that didn't happen because I'd be a broke boy, even broker than I am right now. Miami was so good offensively, but they couldn't finish. It felt a lot like if you're playing basketball and you're trying to establish position in the paint. You're posting up, you're knocking around, you're throwing elbows, and you're catching the ball in the paint with a chance to score. All you got to do is turn around, right hook, you got to finish. Miami caught the ball in the paint a lot. They were in the red zone a lot, but they traded threes for touchdowns. Can't do that. Can't. I mean, elite teams finish in the red zone. So for Miami, they're going to take a look at themselves in the mirror this week and reassess a lot. But I think the theme that we thought about Miami going into this year is kind of held true. They need a true playmaker on that side of the football. They need to have a true alpha wide receiver. And I know Xavier Restrepo is out. Sounds like he's going to be out for the foreseeable future. Six weeks is what Mario Cristobal said, but they got to have somebody else step up because on that final drive, Tyler Van Dyke delivers a great throw on that out route right through his receiver's hands. They couldn't challenge deep all night, and that's why I think ultimately you saw them have the result they did offensively. Nine points is not going to be good enough. But in terms of line of scrimmage, got a great push on both sides, was really impressed with that. For AM, to talk about the bigger picture for them going forward, still have real issues. 
You still have real issues. You can't expect to score 17 points a game going forward. As good as this defense is, to get to where they want to go long-term, to play for national titles, to play for the SEC, to play in New Year's Six Bulls, all of that, you got to have something else figured out offensively. Now, will they take steps forward with Max Johnson? I would imagine so. Do they have playmakers all over the field? Devon A-Chain? Again, I think with the right circumstances, with the right game plan, he has the opportunity to be one of the best backs in the country. You saw that flash last night. Anaya Smith, a playmaker to say the least. Evan Stewart didn't play last night. When they get him back, he's a baller. They got so many guys within this offense. So to not be able to put up more points, you got to start looking around this program. Got to have to reassess. But the offensive line, Max Johnson was not comfortable all night long. We'll just say that. He was consistently under duress. And so for AM to get where they want to go, you got to shore up the trenches. Otherwise, it doesn't matter who you got playing quarterback. So again, AM, in gut check fashion, back against the wall kind of game, find a way to get it done after a huge loss the week before, win the game over Miami, 17 to 9. Aggies get it done at Kyle Field. And I was impressed by AM being able to, to answer the call to action because that was one of the concerns that we had for them going into this game. Hey, backs against the wall. Are they going to start pointing fingers? Remember all the talk that we had in the offseason, all of the buzz around Nick Saban saying that they had bought their players with NIL money. We're not here to talk about that. We're just saying if that were to be the case, a locker room held together by NIL, you would think just from the outside looking in, wouldn't have a ton of glue to it. So credit to A&M being able to answer the call to action and, and winning the game in that fashion. Really impressed by them. Pressed by Jimbo Fisher. So we're going to wrap this thing up talking about our top four teams. If the college football playoff started today, which again, it doesn't, who, who's in? Who's our top four? And before we even get into this, I just want to make sure I, I preface with this. A lot of these teams are going to play each other. Like we would imagine Georgia and Alabama are going to play each other in the SEC title game. That's not a super far stretch of the imagination. So if they're in our top four right now, if they're both in our top four right now, just take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. This thing is going to sort itself out. We have never once sat there on Selection Sunday and said, oh my gosh, they got the wrong four in. Even more so. After they play the national title game, we've never once said, wow, they dropped the ball on who they put in that national championship, who got in that final four. It's not the case. All right, without further ado, here's our top four teams. Starting at number one, it's Georgia. Like, let's just call a spade a spade. It's the Georgia Bulldogs. They are the most dominant team in the country to this point. I think a lot of us have a hard time forgetting what they did to that Oregon program in week one of the college football season in Atlanta. They took care of South Carolina yesterday. We need to start being ready to have this Brock Bowers for Heisman conversation. I understand Stetson Bennett for Heisman is going to get a lot of buzz too. Brock Bowers is a created player. And I don't think there is anybody in the country that is going to be able to match up with him one-on-one. -on -one. Folks, they called a reverse on the goal line to their tight end. Usually, you call a reverse to your fast guys. You call the reverse to your slot receivers, to your running backs, to your slashers. They called a reverse to their tight end. If that doesn't tell you how freaky a guy like Brock Bowers is, I don't know what does. Stetson Bennett looks in total command of this offense. 
Defense doesn't look like they've taken any step back by any stretch of the imagination. I think they're going to get tested by someone else down the line. Hard to say who it is just yet. But when Georgia's on their off day, when they don't bring their A game to the stadium, can they win ugly? We've seen a couple of these programs within this top four win ugly already. I'm curious to see if Georgia ever has to win ugly because it's my belief that championship teams always do. So that remains to be seen. But Georgia is our top team after week three in the college football season. Looking at number two, the Ohio State Buckeyes, a team that have won ugly so far. They beat a Notre Dame team that was ranked pretty high at the time. I'm not knocking them for that win right now. Say whatever you want about Notre Dame. I know they lost to Marshall. I know they barely got out of the game against Cal with a win. I don't care. Notre Dame brought their A game to Columbus, and Ohio State was able to find a way to win without their fastball. No Jackson Smith and Jigba, still found a way to win. In terms of what they did in week three, they scored 77 against Toledo. That is illegal in most states, what they did to that program. C.J. Stroud is continuing to progress as the guy. There's nothing super concerning about Ohio State just yet. And again, they haven't played a ton of elite competition just yet. But the, the way that they beat Notre Dame, I just can't get that out of my mind. It's a really quality win. More than a lot of these programs can say at this point in the year, Ohio State, number two for us at this point in the season. Now at number three, we got the Alabama Crimson Tide. They took care of business against Louisiana Monroe. The reason they're at number three and not number two for us, we saw some chinks in the armor against Texas. Now Texas may be a great football team. Remains to be seen what they do the rest of the way. But Alabama was favored by 20 points in that game. And if Bryce Young's not on the sideline for the Crimson Tide, we may be talking about Alabama having one loss right now. So, with that being said, they have some things in the secondary that I'm still not 100% sold on for when they play that elite competition. I think we'll learn a lot more about them as the season progresses. But it's hard to forget the way that Texas was able to just 50-50 ball them to death. I mean, Xavier Worthy running wide open downfield, drops a touchdown that really could have set the whole place on fire at DKR. Like, there are some things within this program that I think still need to be addressed. Will they address it? Well, they got the greatest coach of all time running their program, as they like to say. So I think they'll probably be just fine. But Alabama, to this point, won every game they played, obviously, won convincingly outside of the Texas game, but they're number three for us. Now, this is the game that I, or excuse me, the team, I think, that will probably get the most pushback on. A lot of you have Michigan probably as your number four team in the country. I have Oklahoma. And we'll talk more about Michigan here in just a second as to why I don't have that number four. But Oklahoma showed me a lot against Nebraska. And that's sort of the fact of the matter. I mean, they did a lot of good things, obviously, the first two games of the year. But they showed me, no, who we are those first two games in the year, that's who we are against a Power 5 team, too. Like I said, I think Nebraska is a more dangerous team in that game than folks want to give credit for. Oklahoma was able to really just dictate their own tempo. Like we talked about earlier in this show, they were able to play their game. I think Dylan Gabriel is going to be a guy that plays his best football later in the season as he progresses, as this offense progresses. But they ran the ball really effectively. Brent Venables has put his blueprint in place with that defense. I think his approach is already sort of taking shape and that defense is already starting to catch their tempo under him. So Oklahoma a team that I'm really excited about in a big 12 conference that has a lot of transition, 
We talked about it. Eight of the 10 Big 12 programs have either a new quarterback or a new head coach. Okay? So for Oklahoma to catch their stride and to look as solid as they do already is why we have them at number four. Now at number five, we have Michigan. And if you want to put Michigan at number four, I'm not going to argue with you too much, but here's my only issue with them to this point in the year. Have they won every game convincingly? Absolutely. They've looked great. Jim Mora said it this week going into the game. He's like, they don't have any weaknesses, and they don't. But even if they did, wouldn't they be sort of difficult to see to this point in the year? They played Colorado State. They played Hawaii. They played UConn. Folks, those three programs are arguably among some of the least in college football right now. Not to say they'll stay that way, but from what Michigan did to them, we don't know anything new about them. There's nothing that we've been able to gleam about Michigan going forward just yet. Now, what I do love is what they have at quarterback with J.J. McCarthy. I mean, I think that offense will take new strides, and they're going to need to take new strides to get back to the Big Ten Championship and to beat Ohio State and all that. But with J.J. McCarthy at quarterback, there is a whole new possibility on offense. A whole, whole new world if you're into Disney. That's kind of the whole reality right now at Michigan. Because on the defensive side of things, it's called a spade a spade. You lost two NFL caliber edge rushers. It's not your fault, but if your defense takes a small step back to get back to where you were, you would imagine you need small more, or excuse me, a, a slightly more uh, adequate effort on offense. All right? So you're going to have to probably score more points. Now, Michigan, a team that very much so will, will force the issue in the Big Ten. I fully expect them in Ohio State to play at the end of the year with unbeaten records. So we'll see what happens there. But as of right now, just based on their competition, we're going to go ahead and put them at number five. At number six for us, we like Clemson. So our first two teams out are Michigan and Clemson. And Clemson is a team that we will learn about, obviously, as with all these teams, as the year goes on. But the biggest question mark is the same as it was going into this year. What do you have at quarterback? Can DJ Uyunglele or Cade Klemnik be the guy to allow your offense to match what you're bringing on defense? Because the ACC, no knocking me those programs, Miami included, is not going to be the gauntlet. It's not going to be like the SEC. They may have to go unbeaten to end up in the college football playoff. In order to do that, I think they need more production. Everybody thinks they need more production at the quarterback position. And DJ has been solid. I mean, he's not lighting the world on fire. He's not putting up JJ McCarthy numbers, but he's been serviceable so far. It's hard to stave off the temptation to go with Cade Klubnick because of what you've seen in spurts with him. And kind of similar to what we talked about with Michigan, just the idea of playing a Cade Klubnick and what he brings vertically is obviously a little bit appealing. But Dabo's been... Pretty transparent, especially in ACC Media Day, saying, no, da- you know, DJ's our guy. We're going to roll with him. So we'll see what happens there, but it all centers around the quarterback because the rest of this roster, especially on the defensive side of the ball, is really, really good. Really, really good. I mean, DJ, if, if he can play just marginally better than he did a season ago where he threw 10 interceptions and nine touchdowns, and if they can have some of those skill guys continue to step up, and just be ever so slightly more productive. Will Shipley, a guy that's had great ROI this point in the year, they're going to be okay. So for them, the money's going to be made later in the year. Again, I think they need to go undefeated to make the college football playoff, but Clemson, as of right now, is our number six team in the country. 
golly, I'm fired up. This was a blast. We went live. I think we went live, and I think we still have our jobs, from what I understand. I guess we'll find out after we get off the air here. But, folks, if you haven't yet subscribed to this channel, would encourage you to do so. We are at about 16,990-something at the time of us going live. Stop what you're doing right now. Click the subscribe button. Cost you absolutely nothing. Helps us to do more of what you would like to see on this channel. And going forward, we're going to try to do a mailbag. We're going to try and do a mailbag. Also going to try and do a party section, meaning in the live comment section, we can do it tonight. We're going to do it going forward. You can ask a question. We're going to answer it live. So there's not going to be this whole prep notes, whatever. You know, I get a chance to really think about what you're saying and give you a super calculated response. It's going to be us having a conversation live on air, talking about what you want to talk about. I would also be remiss if I didn't mention we're in podcast. So whether you like Apple or Spotify, we're there for you. You can listen to the hard count during drive time or whenever you choose to consume it. But again, y'all watching this show, y'all contributing in the live chat, y'all contributing in the comment section, you liking, you subscribing, all of that is what makes this operation go. That's what makes this so fun for us. College football is very much so a fan-based driven sport, and that's what makes it different than every other sport in existence. Us, that's what makes it different than the NFL. That's what makes it different than the NBA. The passion and the fan base and the way that you're tied to your program is why we love this so much. So contribute to this program. We're going to make sure we hold it down on our end. All right? We appreciate you tuning in. We're going to keep the party rolling, and we will see y'all next time. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.